Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, also from the Next Real. Today, we are talking about Minute 4, which begins with two men exploring the ship and ends with two men talking about defending Castle Rock Tower. We, we have some, I have a comment, first comment. Oh. And First I comment. haven't mentioned it already because now that we're in the in the actual cabin of this massive vehicle and they are exploring, they're walking in close to in the first couple of seconds close to this chair. And then we have a reverse shot where we're looking back at the guys with their flashlights. And this is where this film's exuberance for lens flare rivals only J.J. Abrams Star Trek. <laughs> this, the, I did you do you have any note related to lens flare on this movie because it's bug nuts. There is so much lens flare, which is interesting. We didn't have any lens flare with the truck headlights. Minute to, right diffused well, by the, uh, yeah, snow, the snow, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But this is where and and part of the issue is they commit to lens flare early, and then they create a whole army full of weapons that include bright sources of blue light and every time anyone looks at the one of the weapons just sitting still not even in use it has this grotesque lens flare on it i find it so this is where it starts right here i think full-on flashlight lens flare get ready captain america is a very bright lens flarey ride which is funny i don't recall a lot of lens flare in other joe johnson projects i don't either well it makes me wonder the dp on this was shelly johnson uh cinematography and uh shelly um has done a lot of uh tv but and, and you know certainly a good number of films i don't see a lot of stuff in here where i say oh, jurassic park three there's a joe johnston project uh hidalgo uh, the Wolfman, clearly somebody who's worked a lot with Johnston, but I don't see anything where I think of as, oh, that is a major lens flare film. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Tell me you noticed yeah. it, though. Am I crazy? Like, it was, I found it so, so distracting in some sequences. It was a laugh out loud funny. I didn't notice, yeah. yeah. I just was I maybe I just wasn't paying attention to it, but yeah. um, but not to say it's not there, but I just I wasn't noticing. So, uh, but that's uh, Shelley Johnson, cinematographer, and uh, also recently did Greyhound, the Tom Hanks, yeah, World War II film. So Tom certainly Hanks somebody World War II who slipper movie, so many slippers <laughs> certainly has a World War II look uh, for sure. The lens flare. What's interesting about that shot you're talking about, though is we get a profile shot of our S.H.I.E.L.D. lieutenant as he is flashing his flashlight toward that uh, cockpit chair. And then when we cut, it is a POV shot. So we go from a profile, and you normally don't go from profile to POV. Normally you are showing their face, and then we cut to the POV. Not in this case. We're profile. And then what's funny is when we cut back, we're now, we still see that profile, but who's more prominent is the shield tech coming toward us, and it almost makes it feel like 
the shield tech is the POV that we're looking at, but it's not. It's, a, it's weirdly deceptive the way that they chose to construct this. Why do you think they did it that way? I, I think it all lends to the mystery, the, the throwing us off, the kind of putting, creating tension and uh, giving a sense of, of we're just really not sure what's happening here. I, I, it's pretty clever. So you think it was intentional? I think it was intentional, yeah. Okay. I See, I, I don't know that I'm on the, I, I think I might be on the fence on the intentionality of that scene. I think it might just be what's the, what is the most efficient way with what we've got to get ourselves into a close-up on that frozen shield reveal. Uh, and that's entirely possible that they just they they miss shot the the POV shot of the light uh, walking toward that cockpit chair and they had to use it. Um, and it's entirely possible. But it's in terms what, of in terms of precedent for that point of view, lest we review minute one of the Marvel movie minute Captain America podcast where we have the truck, which is now two sets of two lights. Yeah. The, one the weird POV. Yeah. Threading the needle. Well. If anything, I will say the way that the editing works here is smooth. Like you don't think about that too much. You don't think about too much the fact that we're a POV of the chair. And then when we cut, we're looking at the tech whose flashlight is revealing something entirely different, not the chair. So we don't think it's not designed in a way where it confuses, I guess, is the reason that I think there might be some intentionality there. No, you're well, you're right. And the, the reveal on the chair where you think you're going into the chair, but it's actually the pile of powdered snow below it, uh, I think works. I never lose track of what, what I'm looking at. At no point do I lose track of what I'm looking at. No, it, it works pretty well. Um, but then to your point, we are, as you mentioned, we have our tech here who uh, walks toward, he sees something, he walks toward it, bends down. And we see something illuminated under the snow and the ice. We can't quite tell. And then he starts wiping it with his hand. And that's when we reveal the shield. Which one says, hey, call somebody? Is it the guy standing up or the guy? Because it cuts away on the shield. In the front, we have our shield our shield tech. Uh, that's Nicholas. Nicholas, the, the shield tech, is the one who uh, uh, uncovers what we're looking at there. Right. Mm-hmm. And he says, Lieutenant. And uh, this is uh, Gorman. I, I'm just going to keep calling him Gorman. I know yeah, Lieutenant Gorman. it's William Hope, the actor, but I'm going to say it's S.H.I.E.L.D. Lieutenant Gorman. Okay. <laughs> who we have here. <laughs> and, and he's the one who, after uh, the tech calls him over, he comes and looks at it. And then the, the tech says, what is it? And, he, and then the lieutenant is the one. It's hard to tell that he's talking because the light is reflecting on his mask yeah, and his, his breath mask. is fogging it a little bit. It's hard to tell. But he's the one who uh, says, you know, go ahead and wake him up. You know, get me a line to the colonel. I don't care what time it is. This one's worth waking up for. He says all that stuff. So that's what I was. That's what I wanted to make sure, because I, I couldn't tell. It wasn't like who was it that should know that information when you see the shield artifact that you know this is important like how was that set into the shield cultural cultural history what are these guys doing these two guys right now thinking about that shield and noting why it's important well that's a that's a really good question um and and one thing that i think um is interesting about this particular story is and we'll talk about this as things happen, is what will people know? And does S.H.I.E.L.D. intrinsically know more because they were involved in the Super Soldier program and the rest of history is kind of forgotten about this Captain America figure? I mean, because it's definitely going to be an interesting thing to look at, the fact that Captain America 
<laughs> he's really not around for a very long period of time, right? No. No, like is he written? Is he in ingrained in Shield history and taught generations hence? Remember the captain, uh, because that that felt a little bit weird to me. Like, oh, thank God we have a Shield historian in the lieutenant, right? <laughs> that he's able to know when to make that phone call. I do wonder, like, how much do these guys actually know about what's going on? I mean, you know, Captain America. You know, the the film starts in 1942. Um, he's doing USO tours in 1943 and presumed dead in 1943 as well. So he's only around for like a year. And I mean, obviously, in the American, in the U.S. culture, people are aware because he's out there selling war bonds and stuff. But I, my my hunch is the general American public thinks of this Captain America figure as kind of that poster, the war bond poster. This is that guy who is on the poster telling us to buy war bonds, who is out there doing these shows. They likely don't have any clue as to anything that had happened. So if anybody other than the kids were reading comics, it just is like an American figure that was designed to inspire Americans during World War II. Yeah. Nobody knows that he's this figure except for S.H.I.E.L.D. And again, this was the 40s. I mean, you know, <laughs> this is, um, I know actors aren't necessarily their character ages, uh, but William Hope, or characters aren't necessarily the actor ages, but William Hope, the actor uh, playing Gorman, a uh, Lieutenant, S.H.I.E.L.D. Lieutenant Gorman, he was born in 1955. And so he wouldn't have even grown up knowing these things. So he had to have been taught in some capacity within S.H.I.E.L.D., there was this figure. And I I guess I would think that maybe they came up here on the idea that this discovery, there is something discovered in the ice. Do you think that it's just like in S.H.I.E.L.D.'s like databanks, hey, if anything's ever found in the ice, put a flag on that because it could be Captain America. Yeah, like, or, or is it just like, oh, because he makes a specific note in this, in this minute, he says, this guy's waited long enough, right? Like, he, it's not just... And that's assuming there's a guy here. Yeah. Like, all they're seeing is a shield at this point. Is a shield. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They've never revealed a guy. All they said is, this This is this is a shield, and maybe it's shield tech looking, right? Like, maybe it's something we should know because some of our other stuff looks like shield technology. Yeah. I'm saying acronym shield, not literal shield. Right. We're going to have to start. Very confusing. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden in this particular film, we're going to have to talk about which shield are we talking about? Yeah. So anyway, I, I think it's like it, it's not as if the the editing and cinematography don't indicate that this is a wildly important thing for the audience to understand. Right. Correct. This is there. They've done that. They've have they've lens flared this puppy to the ends of the earth. And now we know this is super important. They're going to make a phone call. And of course, we the audience don't need any more because we're sitting in a Captain America movie and we just saw the shield for the first time. So I think they can that carries a lot of weight. There's no more mystery to be revealed. Yeah, we know when we see that this thing, I mean, we've seen it on the posters, we've seen it in the trailer. If you weren't a reader of Captain America, if you hadn't been really following all this stuff. Reasonable assume you would you would get it. You would assume, oh, this relates to our guy. And also, this is really that, that final clue that you needed. Oh, this is definitely present day. This has nothing to do with the past. And that you and I have been now talking about these first, uh, th this for over an hour uh, in podcast time, and we're still 
you know, about 200 seconds into the movie. (laughs) Oh, that's the joy of these shows. All this happens pretty quick, that is to say. Yeah, right. Very, very quick. So, so that's, that's pretty much where we get this reveal. Uh, so now we know, okay, there's this ship in the ice. It's been frozen here for a long time because Captain America's shield is here too. And as an audience, we may have a clue that Captain America was around in World War II. He wasn't a figure that, you know, was frozen in the ice two years ago. So, so suddenly all these pieces are kind of falling into place. So the mystery is kind of set up. Okay. I have a sense as to what's going on in the story now. Mm-hmm. All right. And so this takes us to a cut in place and time. Yeah. And a great music, a nice little uh, uh, music hit also with the score to kind of do that transition. And we are in Tonsberg, Norway, March 1942. Tonesburg, Norway. Now, do you do you want to talk about the the extended sequence? Well, we'll talk about it here. But first, um, Tonesburg, Norway, Pete. Oh, of course. I need our to- I need our guide. What can I learn about Tonesburg, Norway, Andy? Uh, you might have uh, forgotten, but uh, I sure <laughs> talked about Tonesburg a lot <laughs> last season. Uh, this is a village in Norway, and uh, we saw this back in the Battle of Tonesburg uh, at the beginning of our last film, at the beginning of Thor. This was uh, in uh, when the frost giants of Jotunheim, King Laufey, invades Tonesburg and just freezes everything. Uh, this was 965 AD. He's just freezing villagers left and right. Uh, it's a fantastic um, open. He's using another blue cube. This is uh, certainly one of those things that confused a lot of people. He's using the Casket of Ancient Winters in that particular film. Uh, and it makes me think that they're, they were trying to create some blue cube connection between the two films. I'm not exactly sure why they felt we had to just keep doing blue cubes in this, but uh, that was uh, 965 AD, and now we're jumping forward to uh, 1942, 2,907 years that have passed uh, between the two. I I have to... I I almost mm, don't want to say this, but I will. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I had forgotten that that villa, that that battle was Tonsberg, Norway, in Thor. I mean, you weren't on for the season, so I'm not surprised that it wasn't something that stuck. But it is definitely something that has been, for whatever reason, they have decided Tonsberg, Norway, is a place that you need to remember in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because uh, they will return to Tonsberg. They'll have new Tonsberg by the time we get to the later films. And so it is a thing for sure. Tonesburg. What is there comic history that you're aware of uh, of Tonesburg? Like in the in the books, something that anchors it? Uh, no, it's just something. Uh, it's, and it's not New Tonesburg. Sorry, it becomes New Asgard, new uh, Asgard because that's right. where that's where they settle um, later. But no, it's it was just a a village. I mean, there is a real Tonesburg, Norway, but. Um, it wasn't something that was really brought in for any particular reason other than they wanted to uh, kind of have this this place, I guess. You know, they, um, you know, I mean, uh, Gilgamesh talked about Tonesburg also in Eternals. In Eternals. Um, yeah. So it's, I don't know. I, I, I think that they just wanted a place that tied 
Earth to, um, or Midgard, I guess, in the case of Thor, to kind of the broader world. And we, we kind of have that connection. It, it tied the, the, the Norse mythology into Norway. There was kind of this connection that they made for that film. And I think because we, we learn in, in coming minutes next week, um, more about the Tesseract as it relates to Odin and his treasure room. We don't have that quite right, yet, right. but so there is that connection, but, and, and that's really why they wanted it. They, they, they picked a place and I'm, this is my rewrite or writing of, of what I think happened. They needed a place for the first film. They picked Tonesburg, Norway. And then as they were continuing, like, you know, we, we need to have some connection still. Let's just use Tonesburg and let's make it the modern Tonesburg or the 1942 modern Norway, Norway. And it just kind of continued from there. Okay, that makes sense. It's where we are. Now, the reveal of Tonesburg. Yes. It is wartime. Clearly, there is something going on. Yeah, because as we fade up, we're hearing gunfire. Right. And uh, we're seeing a figure, a, a silhouetted figure, running toward a tall structure. That is Castle Rock Tower. Uh, it's never revealed in the film, but that is the name of it, which makes me think that somehow this all is actually in the Stephen King universe. <laughs> that's actually <great. laughs> dairy is actually a stand-in for tonesburg you didn't know that tonesburg and dairy yeah yeah uh, that would make sense perfect sense if only they had cast alex skarsgård for uh to play um thor then we could have had more skarsgård ties because we also have the skarsgård tie-in with it and dairy I mean, I guess we have Stellan already, but still. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, it is Tonesburg's most famous landmark, Castle Rock Tower. Uh, and I can't pronounce uh, what it is is part of. It's a very long word. Slotsfjöldismusit? Uh, I got I got pretty good about pronouncing all this stuff. In, uh... Do it. Drop that. Slotsfjellet, the Castle Hill. Slotsfjellet, yeah. Slots, Slots the most popular outdoor recreation hour area in the center of Tonsberg. It looks, it looks like maybe in 1942 that was kind of a square that they would have done there. But this is, it's a green space. It's at the edge of a cliffside, and it's quite lovely. But it is in Tonsberg. Are you telling me there are two Castle Rock Towers? One fake CG one that is sitting in the middle of a square, and another one also in Tonsberg? <laughs> I, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, what I'm saying is it's interesting that they chose to specifically call this out as Castle Rock Tower and use it in the film this way because it's designed as basically like a church tower in the middle of town Yes, that we're looking at here, whereas the real one is the – I mean, it's really the remnants of what had been kind of a castle fort like this big fortress and that's all that's left is this thing. But my understanding is that um, most of the rest of the place, it was probably the middle ages when it was around. I don't think there was really much of a town around it. Um, By 1942. Even in 19, yeah. 1942. I wouldn't think so, but, but again, this is a fictional Tonesburg anyway. So. Doesn't it just seem strange though, that they would make those choices, call it the same thing in a fictional the MCU Tonsberg. Yeah, very much, very much. Make better choices is all I'm saying. <laughs> Come on, MCU. <laughs> uh, okay. Geez, I tell you. So we meet the fake castle. 
Now we now and we have Jan running to it, but let's talk about the deleted scene now. I think this is a good okay. spot for that. Yep. So the deleted scene, um, it gives us a little more of what's happening. We have two figures running through the streets of Tonesburg. Um, and we don't necessarily hear gunfire yet, but we do hear some rumbling going on behind them. It sounds like a tank is coming. The two of them hide behind a fountain, ready to shoot, and then a house starts falling apart. One of them yells to the other, go tell the keeper, and then Yawn uh, is the one who runs off. We'll talk about the actors here a little more. Then we cut to a house that is falling apart because an enormous enormous tank drives through this thing the other actor um you know the other character gets up and runs he's gunned down by some machine gunners inside the tank and um and then we cut to yawn running to castle rock tower the house that is that falls down is a three-story house and the tank is crushing through the third story it's not taller than the house but it is at least two and a half stories tall. Yeah. Would you agree? Um, th- oh, it is a big tank. This is it's the big tank. The the Hydra Uber tank. But it is a tank that we will see later, and it will look equally ridiculous and large. It's a ridiculous tank. We actually see it um in the in we hear it in this minute. We'll see it in the next minute. I guess we can talk about it a little more in that minute since it's not technically in this one, but yeah, we'll we'll have a brief chat about it and and how it takes down the the front of Castle Rock Tower. Well, and I, I think this is important because I this sequence reveals the tank in full. Like we see its full might in this sequence. And I think it was the it was a great decision to remove this sequence because that would have been too early to reveal this. And even in the next minute that we're going to talk about, you don't see the whole tank. No, it was very intentional that they, when they cut this deleted scene, that they they said, you know what, it was too early to reveal the tank. We wanted to leave it a little more of a surprise, so when that front of the uh, the building comes down in minute five, um, there's a little more mystery to to what's happening there. So I I, I get it and I appreciate that. So, uh, but cool and uh, you know big. Yeah, it's it still is cool. Yeah, yeah, very big. But that takes us to uh, Castle Rock Tower. Fake Castle Castle Rock Tower, MCU Castle Rock Tower, <laughs> the MCU um, Castle Rock Tower. That's yeah. right, and uh, and that that takes us to the opening of the you know getting rid of that deleted scene gets takes us to the the cut where Jan is actually running to the tower as you already exactly. introduced right. So Jan runs to the tower. Jan is played by uh, Marek Orovec. I think is how you say his name. Young guy though, uh, but yeah, we he's uh, has not appeared in a lot of films, only nine films, um, but certainly is somebody who looks like the sort who needs to be in uh, uh, period war films because he also was an SS officer in Fury, the tank movie. Oh, how fun. Yeah, that's one we like quite a bit. Yeah, we like that one. Uh, but this is Merrick, and Merrick runs inside and talks to... Uh, the Tower Keeper, David Bradley. David Bradley. What? Okay. David Bradley is the first one where I want to do the IMDb game with you. Because David Bradley is a face that everybody knows. Whether you remember yes. what he's been in or not, everybody has seen something that David Bradley is in. 
A hundred percent. What would you guess are the four films on David Bradley's IMDb page? Uh, for those of you not familiar with the IMDb game, uh, IMDb says there are four films that a person is known for, and their algorithm is screwy Louie. It's impossible to tell why they pick the projects they do, um, but it's very interesting. So David Bradley, Pete, um, what four films? And I will say they are all films not any of the TV projects or voice projects that he's done. That's what I was wondering. I, it was going to be my first question, because I know he's done a lot of stuff. Um, a second establishing question. Okay. Are they all for Harry Potter? <laughs> they are not all for Harry Potter. Okay. But that's a, that's a good, que- good question, because when you have big franchises like the MCU or Harry Potter or Star Wars, those tend to end up at the top. Um, and yeah. there are certainly some Harry Potter on here. He, of course, plays Argus Filch, uh, the fantastic groundskeeper of Hogwarts. Um, I'll tell you there are two. Any guesses as to which two Harry Potters are on here? I would, just to make it easy on myself and not have to make decisions, I would say the first and the last. Um, <laughs> well, you'd be right. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part two. So. Oh, part two even. That's good. That's outstanding. All right. So the others, you know, we've we we've talked about him in the Edgar Wright stuff, right? In the Cornetto trilogy. Yep, and so... One of those has got to be on there, right? Hot Fuzz or World's End? I, I bet you're looking. <laughs> no, and because totally I can't cheating. tell you what a I can't tell you what a fourth one is. Well, you you know what you know where I am. I'll tell you where You know where? Wait, did you just tell me that those are the other two? Those are the other two. That's why I'm like, you're, you're cheating. You have to be cheating. You, you no, named I'm not all cheating. four of them. It was actually, okay, for those of you who don't know, there is a chat room and you can chat along with us as we're recording this thing. And we're it, and it, as it happens, Brian uh, is in the chat room right now and he just wrote, are they Edgar Wright heavy? And I immediately thought, oh, of course, they're going to be, they're going to be Edgar. So that, go, that, the cheat goes to Brian if there's anything <laughs> cheat worthy about this. But I can't believe it. That means I just won the IMDb game with, uh, uh, with assistance. That's right. You sure did. Those are those are the four. The first and last Harry Potter films <laughs> and The World's End and Hot Fuzz are the other two. So very, very funny that you got those. Um, but those are definitely That's outstanding. All films that I would say he's pretty recognized for, you know. Yeah. Right. Uh, but certainly somebody who's been in a lot of things. Very, very busy actor. Um, a lot of people probably know him for Game of Thrones. Is that what you're thinking for TV? That was not where I was going to go. It was The Strain. Uh, oh. He, he was in The Strain, the Guillermo del Toro uh, adaptation, or right. weird, long story. But it was, I loved that. I loved it so much. And he played um, Satrakian in that. Excellent. Okay. Well, that's David Bradley, who is the, um, he works here, um, clearly the guy who um, keeps this place. He's not like a... I mean, it's, it, I don't know. When you look at the, the tower here, it looks like a cathedral in the middle of town. Like, that's what it seems like. It, but it's really not. It is like a, a military tower is what it is. And he is the tower keeper. It just is one of those places that seems like militaristic. And it seems more, or it seems churchy because when you get inside, you also have that tomb, um, that we'll, we'll talk about in later minutes. But it feels very much like the sort of, like, 
I don't know. It just it seems like a European cathedral is what I read it as, you know? Well, it doesn't hurt that its only lighting is, you know, a thousand candles. Yeah, right. It's 1942, but they, they, they don't use the electricity here. It's all candlelight in this place. And there are a lot. It is, you're right. There's a lot of candles lighting this place. Right. So then we get the actual, we get the, the fear. We don't actually get a reveal of the tank that we've already talked about, but we, we do get a sense that things are afoot. Yeah, there's the rumbling that's happening. You know, Jan comes in and, and talks to the tower keeper who comes down the stairs, and they have a brief exchange there um, in, I'm going to guess it's uh, in Norwegian. Um, they are actually saying, they've come for it. And then... Uh, the tower keeper says they have before, and then Jan says not like this. And then we get his, <laughs> we get half of his line here. Uh, tower keeper says, "Let them come." We'll hear what he says. Uh, the rest of this in the next minute, but that's pretty much where we are. So he seems cocky and arrogant, like, "Ah, eh, this is nothing." Um, but Jan, Jan has seen a little more of what's actually happening outside, and so seems pretty concerned. And uh, that's the end of the minute. It's it's good. We've got that. We're we're through the the cap setup. We found the shield. Now we're ready to set up the next bit of magic, and then we can get on with the movie. Now we're setting up the World War II part. Yeah, so it's yeah. Uh, it's good stuff. But it's a mysterious part because you don't jump back in a World War II film expecting to land in Norway. No, right. <laughs> right. That's that's yeah. kind of the odd thing that throws you a little bit. It's like, wouldn't we go to Germany or Austria or somewhere else? Right. But no, we're in Norway. We're in Norway here. Sneaky. An interesting one. Sneaky. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, that's it for today. Uh, remember, everybody, you can uh, uh, become a member of the show and you can support it. We get uh, we have hiatus episodes that pop up between the seasons, sometimes during season. Who, you, who knows? We just have these hiatus episodes thrown out periodically. And then, of course, members also get uh, episodes uh, a week early before everybody else. Plus, members can jump into the live stream. As Pete was talking about, we have a live stream when we're doing the shows and you can hop into the chat and all that sort of stuff. So it's a great place to uh, to participate. You can learn more at True Story fm slash marvel movie minute you can see what we offer uh it's five dollars a month or you can get a discount if you join at the annual rate all right i think that's it for this week pete any last thoughts let's do it all right everybody until next time true believers uh i could do this all day Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Music